0: You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor, JC Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Cadio Terry. Every trip to Nashville is filled with nonstop adventure. JC and I spend weeks planning our interviews, and when we got word that Sarah Evans, one of our favorite female artists of all time, had agreed to share her story with us, we did have to do a little bit of a jumping up and down fan moment. I've heard it said, don't meet your idols because you might be disappointed, but nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to Sarah. She's a superstar. She is welcoming. She's beautiful inside and out. She is deep. She is kind. She is strong and vulnerable all at the same time. And she's driven. Sarah has been singing since she was five years old. Being a performer is what she does. And she delivers every time.
1: Experience is one. Natural talent is another. But mostly it's being in the moment every time you sing a song. It's very, very important to go to that lyric in every song that you sing every single time, whether you're singing for 10 people or 30,000 people.
0: With five number one songs, the ACM Award for Top Female Vocalist, a CMA for Video of the Year, Grammy, Billboard, BMI, r CMA, and ACM nominations, and 10 studio albums. Sarah Evans is a success story by any standard, but it is her personal story, shared with JC and me as we sat together on cozy couches, tucked away on the third floor of the colonial style home she shares just outside of Nashville with her three children. That's what really blew us away. It turns out this girl next door who sang Suds in the Bucket really did grow up on a farm in Missouri with the clothes hanging out on the line.
1: I'm one of seven kids I have two older brothers and four younger sisters and when I was four years old we moved out to my mother's dream home basically it was a old turn-of-the-century late 1800s huge beautiful farmhouse That was on probably 400 something acres. And my mother moved us out there and she began to just remodel the entire house. And the house had not been lived in in years. So when we moved out there, it was like late spring and it was infested with black snakes. So literally, they were hanging from the trees, black snakes everywhere. And like we got so good at like shooting them with a BB gun or. Every day, there would be a black snake on the porch or in the yard, and we would just go get the garden hoe and chop their heads off. My mom is not afraid of anything. And she is obviously, obviously, she is the hardest working human being that I've ever known. And she taught me about work ethic. And she's kind of a perfectionist in that way. Like she always had us dressed so cute. And everything around the farm was perfect. And she never worked outside the home, but she was always on a tractor and she drove school bus. So she started driving a school bus when I was four and she just retired a few years ago. Wow.
0: You can learn a lot about life by growing up on a farm, can't you?
1: It's the best. Like it's really and truly just an amazing, like idyllic way to grow up because you're always having to work. There's never idle time. You're always outside. Both of my parents were musical. When I was four, they put my two older brothers, Jay and Matt, on guitar lessons. And every time that they would practice, I would just start singing along with them. And my parents sort of, I picture them kind of doing like a double take, like, whoa.
0: This girl can sing. She can sing.
1: Like, she's really, really gifted. And so by the time I was five years old, I was playing the mandolin, and my mom found other musicians locally around town and put a band together for us and started booking gigs.
0: You know, it's so interesting. I was just trying to imagine here you are, one of seven children. Here's a mandolin. Your parents are hearing you sing. And your talent was discovered so early in your life. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wanted to be anything but a singer?
1: It was never a matter of wanting to be a singer. I just was a singer because I started so young. I was born this way and it's all that I've ever done. However, there were times like when I was a teenager that I didn't really want to be singing in a bar on Saturday night because I wanted to be more normal. You
0: miss a lot, don't you?
1: Yes. We worked all the time. So we farmed and then we would play music in cover bands. And so I spent my entire childhood, you know, singing for drunk people, two stepping. Whoa. The other thing that I always wanted to do and be and dreamed about my entire life was being a mom. And so I had this vision of like, you know, this is what my life's going to look like and this is how I'm going to do it. And I want to be like Loretta Lynn or Patsy Klein or Reba McIntyre. But I made a deal with myself that I would not get pregnant and start a family until I had a number one record because I knew that if, you know, if I, Wow.
0: Talk about giving yourself some pressure, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I knew that if I didn't have the money and have my career like on its way, then I wouldn't be able to afford like a nanny to go with me and how I wanted to make it work.
0: You were hit by a car when -hmm. you were only eight years old. Can you take us back to that day? It was a very serious accident.
1: Yes, it was June 29th, 1979, and the house was set way back on a hill, but a huge, long driveway. And Highway 87 was the highway that went to our home, and and the driveway was set at the bottom of two hills. So we were always told, you know, don't go anywhere near the road, stay away from the road, and cars would just fly over that hill. So I drove my motorcycle down to the end of the driveway, got off, and went to the edge of the road, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to be doing this. But my eight-year-old brain, I heard a car, but I thought I could make it across the road. And so I guess just as soon as I stepped out, this blue Pinto station wagon was going 75 miles an hour. And I just remember seeing this flash of blue. And that's the last thing I remember. And I was hit. And then she slammed on her brake. So when it hit me, it hit my left side at my leg. And then threw me up. My head hit the hood of the car and then she slammed on her brakes and it threw me like a hundred feet in the air. So I was in the hospital for six weeks and both my legs and both my arms were broken. And when I woke up, I just had no idea what had happened to me. It was completely traumatizing. Tons of surgeries and they had to put a pin in my left leg while I was awake because they couldn't put me under anesthesia because of the concussion so they literally drilled a pen through my leg with a hand drill. And all they could do was just kind of try to numb it. But there was no numbing. wasn't. No, so I passed out again from that pain. It was just awful. And my parents had five kids by that time. So the hospital was 45 minutes at least from our farm. I was in a cast for almost a year. So we just went back to performing, and I just sat in the wheelchair and did shows.
0: I'm thinking that if you've got all those kids, you probably were part of financing your family's bills. You were helping pay the bills at 10 years old.
1: Yes. We did not have insurance. We were just drowning in medical bills. And so that was a big part of it, that we were doing shows to help pay the medical bills.
0: I have also read that your dad, big believer in your talent, brought you to Nashville when you were 10 years old and you recorded a song. And I'm wondering, what was the song called? And what was your goal in coming into Nashville at 10?
1: We met a guy in our area who called himself a manager. He wanted to manage the Evans family band. And then it eventually switched to the Sarah Evans show. I just remember going in the studio and there was an entire band and they were so amazing they found two songs for me, and one was called I'm Going to Be the Only Female Fiddle Player in Charlie Daniels Band. And I can totally get you a copy of that to play on the podcast. Cause it, I've got to have it. You have to. Promise have me. I'm going to get up on that stage
2: and I'll be the nation's red.
0: like a dream come true for a 10-year-old to be in a recording studio.
1: It was really incredible, and I remember they called in these two twin sister fiddle players. I will never forget them. In my memory, they looked like Louise Mandrell. They were beautiful, and so they played twin fiddles. Like nowadays, we would just overdub that. I remember being in absolute awe of them, and then just everybody saying that I was just so talented, and It really was a dream. And I even had my own booth at Fanfare, where I signed those records and people came up and bought them. And
0: You were signing autographs at 10 years old? Signing autographs, yeah. We've been hearing a lot as we've been talking to country music legends, icons like you are, and they say things like, I knew I was going to make this happen. They visualized it, they knew it would happen, they set goals, they met them, and they kept on setting new goals. Did you always have that mindset? Did you know this was going to happen?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there was no question in my mind, and I got a full-ride scholarship in music to a little community college called Central Methodist College in Fayette, Missouri, and I stayed for 11 days, and then I quit because I was miserable I was so much more mature than the other girls because I had grown up on stage. So I quit and I saved $1,000 along with my brother, Matt. We moved to Nashville. I knew that there was no question at all that I would be famous. And I knew that I could absolutely sing anything. And I knew that I was better than anybody. Like I had that in my mindset to give me the drive.
0: And not in a conceited way either, just in a, no. this is the way that it is kind of a moment. Songwriting. Lori McKenna sat with us and she said that her song started out as bad poetry. <laughs> 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 Tell me about your songwriting. How does it happen for you?
1: You know, songwriting is pretty businesslike for me. In other words, when I'm getting ready to make a record, then I go into that, okay, I need to write songs. So I start making appointments to co-write with different people And my gift is lyrics. I feel like I always want to write with somebody who's great at melodies or guitar riff because I feel like I write the same melody over and over. So lyrics are usually my strong point and I love it. But I'm not one of those writers that's just like, yeah, like, you know, when the mood hits me or like I keep a notebook in my bed. So if I wake up and have an idea, it's very methodical. Like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a song.
0: What about playing the guitar?
1: I'm not great at that. So I was on track to being a really great musician until I got hit by a car. And then I just kind of like gave up the mandolin and I just wanted to focus on singing. And that is a regret that I have. I wish that I had, you know, stuck with playing guitar. I can play guitar and I know all the chords, but I'm just not good. But I am a great drummer.
0: You know, we're sitting here with a drum kit, and what we might do toward the end is have her play a little drum for us. That might be fun, and that people will see a whole different side of Sarah. Every time I meet somebody
1: new, I play the drums for them to impress them.
0: Speaking of that, finding someone to believe in you, in your talent, is really key here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking you back to here you are, you're 20 years old. Tell me what the town was like in 1991 for you.
1: So to me, Nashville was a metropolis. Like it was a huge city, terrifying to drive around in, but not terrifying enough to make me even think for a second that I would go home. I mean, I was there. I was going to do it. I had a little diversion. I met my ex-husband, and he was in Nashville with his brothers. He's also from a family of seven, and they had a band, and they were looking for a record deal. So we were both working at Holiday Inn on Brawley Parkway, and... He convinced me to go to Oregon with him for the summer. We ended up being out there for three years. We got married during that time.
0: And so you were really young when you got married. Like, 22.
1: Okay. Very young. Too young. But he was eight years older than me. So I thought, you know, this is, this is good. And also my parents divorced when I was 12 and I lost my relationship with my dad. Finally, after three years, I said, look, I'm going back to Nashville. I know we're married, but if you don't want to come, I'm going. You can stay here.
0: There's only so far you can go in Oregon. Yeah, Musically, what what are you going to do there? Be the best wedding band or holiday in band? Like, what are you going to do?
1: No, I just had had enough. And so we moved back to Nashville. And the first thing that I did was I thought, I'm going to make a connection every day with somebody. And so Brenner, van meter had been my attorney before. It's kind of a confusing story, but I signed this little kind of amateur publishing deal before I moved to Oregon. And so she drew up the deal for me. I had recorded a demo in Portland. So I call her and I said, Hey, I've moved back. And she goes, Oh, it's crazy that you called me because I'm wanting to leave my firm and go into music law. And my husband is a song plugger at Sony tree publishing. So you know, I'll introduce you to him and maybe he can get you work singing demos. So that was a total godsend.
0: So there's a guy named Harlan Howard who heard your demo of you singing Tiger by the Tail. Mm -hmm. Tell me that story.
1: Well, that was actually Brenner's husband's idea. So we were trying to figure out ways to get attention. And I had become like the big demo singer. Like everybody was like, you heard that new girl, Sarah Evans? She's doing all the demos. And in those days, everybody hired actual bands and we would go in the studio and make a demo of a song that a writer wrote and then you would pitch that demo to the signed artist. And so it's almost like staging a home when you're trying to sell it. You want it to look great. Yeah, so it's a good way to describe it. To sound great. Yeah. yeah. So his name was John and he said, I have an idea. Why don't we remake Harlan Howard's song that Buck Owens made a hit tag her by the tail and then we'll try to pitch it to Patty Loveless and see if she wants to record it but I'll invite Harlan to the studio and see what he thinks I've got we ran tiger by the tail once all the band guys like i couldn't see them because we were all in our separate booths but they're all like damn girl damn my gosh you're you're country you're the real thing and i was just like "Thanks, guys!" (laughs) yeah i was so just beside myself excited then i walk out of the singing booth and there is sitting harlan howard so he got up and I was obsessed with Patsy Cline when I was like 14 because the movie Sweet Dreams came out. So I watched that movie thousands of times. So I knew about Harlan Howard and his songwriting and he wrote, I fall to pieces. So I was just in shock. And I said, thank God I did not know you were here while I was singing. So he said, you remind me of Loretta Lynn when she first got to town. And I just died right then and there. So he said, I'm going to call my friend Renee Bell at RCA Records and tell her about you. So he picked up the phone. Renee, it's Harlan. He said, I got a little old gal in here in the studio and she is something else. You know, like he talked like that old fashioned way. And she said, well, awesome. You know, I'll meet with her. So Renee and I went to have lunch with Brenner, my manager, And she said, I love you. I love your look. I love everything about you. I love your sound. Um, I want you to meet Joe Galante. So Joe Galante is the head of RCA Records. And she said, usually Joe likes for people to come in and sing for him in person. So I was like, great. And I had no fear whatsoever. Because I I just knew like this is all I need is for somebody to hear me sing. And so my ex-husband and I learned three songs. He played piano for me. I went in and sang three songs for Joe Galante. We left and we went to my manager's house and we were going to like open a bottle of wine or, you know, just relax. By the time we got to her house, he called and left a message on her answering machine. Brenner, it's Joe Galante. I want to offer Sarah a record deal. She's amazing. And, He didn't know that I would be there listening.
0: And so... So you're standing there and the answering machine is playing and you're hearing Joe Galante. We're all
1: hearing it at the same time. Like, I want to offer Sarah a record deal.
0: What a moment. So she called
1: him and he said, I want to offer her, what about if we do a seven album deal? And it was one of the biggest record deals to ever be given to a new artist, and that was all she and, wrote.
0: And that was all she wrote. Okay, so Three Chords in the Truth, your mm-hmm. first album. Not a lot of big hits there, but huge critical acclaim, so it got everybody's attention. Of course, you got airplay all over the place. No Place That Far, your second album. Title track, number one, your first number one song in March of 1999, and you wrote that beautiful song. Tell me the story behind that song.
1: After Three Chords in the Truth, I mean... I did, as you said, I got a lot of critical acclaim. So I think in a way that was a blessing because I was really respected in the industry. Like, you know, she's different. She's cool. She's not just another cookie cutter female artist. However, it was very disappointing that it didn't do better. So we were like, we need to go back to the drawing table. We need to make the next record in Nashville and become more mainstream. And so I co-wrote No Place That Far. It was just one of those songs that everybody was like, this is so beautiful and this needs to be the, the first single. And it ended up being my first number one.
2: If I had to run If I had to crawl If I had to swing
0: does that feel like when you open up Billboard magazine back in the day, that's what you would do and there's your name, number one, Sarah Evans, No Place That Far. Capture that moment for me.
1: It feels incredible but by the time the song gets to number one I'm already to the next project because I'm so competitive and I'm like, I want to do better so what can I do next? And Not to say that it wasn't an absolutely incredible moment, it was. I mean we were all just Celebrating, jumping and up and down. Yeah, we had worked so hard. And we had number one parties, and it was incredible to think I'm the number one artist in the country right now, the number one, and it was surreal.
0: Your third album, "Born to Fly," two thousand, huge hit, number one song, certified two times platinum record. Tell me the story behind the song "Born to Fly."
1: As I said earlier, I decided you know not to have a baby until. I had a number one record.
0: Oh, that's right. So, so it's baby time, Sarah. It's baby
1: time. Now, I didn't exactly plan on the pregnancy, but I was fine with it because my career was already on its way. I just wanted more power and leverage and all of that with my managers and my label. Cause you know, they don't really like it when you get pregnant because <laughs> they need you to be perfect and churning out the hits and and stuff too
0: right making money
1: exactly and I was incredibly incredibly sick with all of my pregnancies and I gained a lot of weight with Avery and so I remember sitting on the couch and Faith Hill's video I was watching CMT Faith Hill's video for breathe came out And, you know, she was like in the desert on a bed in a nightgown and she just looks incredible and she's so gorgeous. Anyway, so my competitive nature took over and I just told myself, like, when this baby's born, you're going to get so skinny, you're going to grow your hair long and you're going to become a sex symbol. So that was my goal. Like, you have the respect as an artist. Now you're not just going to be like the cute farm girl from Missouri you're going to be a sex symbol because you got to compete with Faith Hill and Martina McBride and everybody else. So I did that. And when Avery was about eight to 10 weeks old, we started thinking about the new album. What are we going to do next? We need to start writing and looking for songs. So my manager suggested writing with Marcus Humman. And so Marcus Humman brought Daryl Scott, who is another incredible writer and guitarist and they came to my house and Avery was in his little bouncy seat right there the whole time. And we always joke that Avery thinks that he deserves a cut of the, the royalties on that song. Cause he was in the room, you know, when it was written
0: and that is how it goes in Nashville. Exactly. So he does have a point.
1: If you're in the room, you, you get a portion of it. So I was just telling Marcus all about my story and my life. And Marcus is one of those writers that just constantly plays guitar while you're talking. At first I was kind of annoyed, like, dude put your guitar down and just talk to me for a minute but I realized that he was writing what I was talking about and he said why don't we just write a song about you and where you're from so the first line that we came up with and I don't remember who wrote it but I've been telling my dreams to the scarecrow and that immediately puts you on a farm and, and paints a picture and paints a picture we went in the studio and made Born to Fly but
0: Go to about 2003 and backseat of a Greyhound bus tell me that story
1: well that was on my favorite album I think that I've ever done is called restless also produced by Paul Worley I was such a huge star by this time the money was just rolling in the label gave me an unlimited budget basically to make my next album backseat of a Greyhound bus was written by Amy Mayo and Hillary Lindsay Sometimes I can't explain why a song hits me or what makes me want to record it. It's kind of a weird story. It's just about a girl who is a teenager who's pregnant and she's running away, basically, and she ends up giving birth on the Greyhound bus. love with her baby. And that just resonated so deep within me.
0: Do you think that you are a better singer now that you're a mom?
1: Absolutely. Having Avery gave me so much confidence to do what I had in my mind. Like I want to become beautiful. And and I think being a mom made me feel beautiful because you have this beautiful, incredible human being that's yours Becoming a mother brought out every emotion in me that I didn't even know I had.
0: You're reminding me of watching the video for Suds in the Bucket. Here's this girl leaving home, parents crying. That's one of my favorite Sarah Evans songs. And I think it's because I identified I had a little girl by then. And I remember thinking, what would I do if Colleen ever did that?
1: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. And what's funny is I didn't even have Olivia yet when I heard Suds in the Bucket. But, you know, I grew up on a farm with a clothesline in our backyard. I knew that millions of Americans would relate to that. And as much as I love New York and LA and the big city, I really am sort of a spokesperson for middle America. And the girl next door.
2: You
0: know, there are so many songs to talk about. Just one more that I wanted to ask you about. You'll Always Be My Baby. Mm-hmm. Top 15 hit, but a very special song for you because you were joined by members of your family on that song.
1: So I wrote that song with the two guys that I wrote, No Place That Far With and Perfect and I Keep Looking. So we always have luck when we write together. And you'll always be my baby is just a song about it's three different little stories within the song, but it's a song about unconditional love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace and mercy. So in each verse, it tells a little story about, I did something that was wrong and my dad forgave me. And then I did something wrong as I was older and God forgave me. And, I want to cry. I can't talk about songs without crying. And then the last verse talks about, I want to be that way for my children and show them unconditional love because there's nothing you wouldn't forgive your child for. In the sunlight or the rain red- dad sang with me on that song.
0: For someone who's been on a stage since she was five years old, what is the key to being a great entertainer, a live performer?
1: Experience is one. Natural talent is another, but mostly it's being in the moment every time you sing a song. It's very, very important to go to that lyric in every song that you sing Every single time, whether you're singing for 10 people or 30,000 people, every time I sing a little bit stronger, I go there
0: mentally. You know, you just mentioned a little bit stronger, and that's the kind of song that someone will come over to you and say, that's my song. Absolutely. That's when you know you hit a home run, right?
1: Yes. I mean, thank God I found that song. I didn't write it so I can brag on it. And I do thank God. song took my career to a whole other level and it is everyone's divorce song everyone like that song got me through my divorce that song got me through my breakup and I never really know what to say to people like I'm so glad like (laughs) that you divorced and
0: (laughs) you had this song to help you but it's a powerful song the thing is that when you make your living as a singer you're really at the highest level of being a great communicator, mm-hmm. aren't you? Because you're using this God-given gift to tell a story in a song.
1: I cannot record something and legitimately put it on an album and release it unless I love it.
0: Tell me about the first time you ever heard yourself on the radio.
1: Miraculously, I was in Missouri visiting and we had gone to dinner And my mom and I were in the car together driving home. And we turned on the radio and three chords and the truth came on. And we screamed and cried and we couldn't believe it. It was incredible. That's the first time I really remember freaking out at hearing myself on the radio.
0: Adversity is a great teacher. What has been the greatest lesson for you along the way? And maybe it was a hard lesson.
1: Feeling hurt and taking it personally when country radio wouldn't just automatically spin my records, making me work so hard for every spin, every hit. And it made me truly angry, truly, truly angry. It hurts you personally. It hurt me personally. That was the biggest disappointment.
0: What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And it can be personal or professional in your life.
1: Well, Reba told me one time, Don't do anything unless it sounds fun. Like, don't do anything in your career unless it sounds fun to you. Then she also told me because I was on tour with her on the Girls Night Out tour, and she was my idol, my absolute idol in country music. We love you, Reba. (laughs) She knows. I mean, I think she's kind of scared of me because I love her so much. But she said also, sometimes you have to make people believe that you're bigger than you are. The example, she said, my first big headlining tour, she said, I went broke and I borrowed money and did all this stuff to make it look like I was a bigger star than I was. And she said, if you tell people that you're a huge star, they will believe it.
0: What matters most to you in this world? My children. Of course. Of course
1: my relationship with Jesus and I would not have gotten through all of this stuff that I've been through things that I'm know I'm going to go through in the future without literally knowing that Jesus died for our sins that God is real and having that personal relationship what means the most to me in this life you know day by day is just those three
0: I know Moms
1: came, it's hard to talk about.
0: Babies, they're, and um, let me tell you something, my children are grown now, it doesn't matter how old they get, they're still your babies, Sarah, and they always need their mom. Always.
1: And I'm so grateful to God that we are so close. We're literally best friends.
0: Final question. Fill in the blank. The key to my success in country music has been? Talent. Pure and simple. Pure and simple. And there she is, Sarah Evans, up close and personal. What a story.
3: Hi, I'm JC Don Valeris, your Music City mentor. I have to start this segment off by saying that Candy and I have now had the opportunity to sit down and talk with so many of our musical heroes, and people whose lives and careers really have reached the highest pinnacle of success. But I was super anxious on the day I knew I would be meeting Sarah Evans. Her story, as you just heard, is filled with the highest of highs and a few lows, and through it all, she has maintained a career that so many artists dream of having. Striving for a career in music means knowing that you are going to have to convince a lot of other people that you deserve a place in the spotlight. One of the things that is most important in getting you from where you are right now listening to this podcast onto some of the biggest stages in the world is confidence. I asked Sarah about this very thing, and I think you'll learn a lot from her answer.
1: My confidence when it comes to my talent and what I know how to do, like I can... Lead a band, produce a record, write a song, put on an amazing concert. I mean, I can literally probably do anything that I wanted to do when it comes to this music career, what I'm good at. But I also struggle very much with having self worth when it comes to everything outside of music. I'm actually quite an introvert and I'm really, really hard on myself. So I guess my biggest piece of advice is in that. Area, you have to know that you're great. If you don't, it's going to be really, really difficult. And you have to have a work ethic that other people are not willing to have.
3: Isn't it true though? Just because you might be lacking confidence in one area doesn't mean that you can't have the utmost confidence in another. If you know you have what it takes and you believe you can achieve your goals, go ahead and do it. And before you know it, others will have confidence in you too. But what if you don't have that confidence yet? What if you're struggling to feel like you're good enough? I get it. My biggest advice is simple, and that is to fake it. You heard me. Sometimes you've just got to pretend. And this coming from someone who has actually done that herself many times, and someone who has been around a lot of superstars who also have done this. Walk on stage like you have got it all together, and eventually, you might just convince yourself that you deserve to be there. Play the role until you've gained enough experience, and eventually, the confidence will come. Speaking of doing what you have to to get from point A to point B, I asked Sarah about the things she most wished somebody told her when she was just getting started. The hard
1: part was getting played at Country Radio. If somebody had told me how hard it was going to be, I probably would have gone a lot more mainstream in the box just to get out there. Taylor Swift became Taylor Swift because of very mainstream songs that appealed to teenagers. And now, after she has made it and she is who she is, she can be much more serious. Writer, artist, you know, all of that. But I just wish that somebody would have warned me about that so I could have gone in with more of a sort of a kiss-ass attitude. Mm -hmm. I was always at war with country radio, so that's one thing that I would
3: definitely change. Right, do what you have to do, and then you have a little bit more freedom. Absolutely. I would argue that making friends at radio might be the single most important thing to getting your songs heard. I know Candy can attest to this. She and I have spent countless hours talking about the importance of having a good relationship with the people at radio, both on the local and national levels. You really do need to know how to win these people over, because once you do, you might have the opportunity to have some multi-platinum selling singles, just like Sarah does. Here are my three pieces of advice. Number one, it's okay to write for radio. The songs you've heard throughout the years playing on the radio are probably the songs that initially made you fall in love with music. You can stay true to your art while also writing songs that fit the country format. Collaborating with other writers is a great way to do this. Seek out co-writers that have a good handle on what is current and what might be a little edgy and forward-thinking. These are the kind of songs that will get your foot in the door at radio. Then you can start experimenting with the things that are a little more outside the box. Next, once you've written these songs, record them and get them over to the people who can play them for you. If you have the opportunity to do a radio tour, take it. There's nothing like a face-to-face moment with the person who can get your song on the air. Writing and recording music that fits nicely into their format will be your ticket in. Again, you're not abandoning who you really are. You're just making it possible for the right doors to open. Finally, when you get to a radio station, remember that the job of these people spinning songs all day long also includes breaking new artists. Make them want to play your songs. Be kind and friendly and flexible. If they want you to jump on the air to do a quick chat for a minute, do it. If they ask you to perform and you have the ability to do it, go for it. And above all else, be memorable. Thank everyone and follow up, and remember that these people were the people who gave you your start. Don't ever forget that. I agree with Sarah. A little confidence and an open mind when it comes to putting music out there really can be your ticket to achieving success in country music.
0: More wisdom you can use from Music City mentor, J.C. Dawn Valeris, inspired by the incredible country music success story of Sarah Evans. Can we ask you a favor? If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. We've got more legends to meet and stories to tell. Until next time, this is Candy O'Terry saying, thank you so much for listening to Country Music Success Stories, where the stars welcome you into their homes and tell you how they made it in Nashville.